Good morning. Grab your Bibles and that was kind of shaky. Um, grab your Bibles and turn to a book of Micah. Book of Micah. There should be a black Bible in front of you, and you can find it in the table of continents. Um, book of Micah. You might have to use your phone, scroll it, find it. Book of Micah. So, in 2008, there was a man walking down the beach in New Zealand, right? So there's a man walking down the beach in New Zealand. When he noticed something strange on the shore, uh, there were two whales. A mother and her calf was washed up on the sand and got, gotten stuck. So you, you may have read about this. You may have heard about this. So this has happened in 2008. So he immediately called the authorities, right, as you should, and, um, and they formed a rescue team to try to get these whales back into the water and with each attempt, so they have this team, they have this rescue team, now they're trying to get these ginormous whales back into the water. And with each attempt, the whale will get into the water, but then he will get stuck on the sandbar that ran 200 yards parallel to the shore. In other words, this whale, this big whale, and you know, mother and the, and the kid would, could not figure out a way out into the ocean because as soon as they get in the water, they will go to the sandbar and get stuck. And so they'll go back and forth, back and forth, and, and they just couldn't get out. And so to a point where, where now the rescue team starting to kind of get hopeless. They simply didn't know a way out. They couldn't figure out how to help them, and it seemed like hope was lost for these whales. And so they were getting ready to put the two animals down to save them from a slow, painful death. And in the midst of despair, in the midst of uh, lost hope, a dolphin appears. A dolphin appears, and this dolphin begins to communicate with the whale. And apparently this dolphin was responding to the whale's distress call and came to the rescue. And very quickly, he was able to guide the, these two whales between the sandbar, uh, between the sandbar and the shore all the way out to the ocean. And today, today we're studying Micah. And there's a story about people who are stuck. But it's also a story of rescue. A story of rescue. Micah is like the other minor prophets who we heard from, is that it's a book about hopeless condition of God's people. Uh, they are trapped in their sin, and not only do they not know a way out, but they're not even looking for one. And a black cloud of judgment is coming towards them, and in that way, in that way, it's also a book about us. It's a book about us. We are people trapped in sin and in its destructive consequences. And we also are people deserving of judgment. But the book doesn't leave us feeling trapped. It's a book about rescue. It's a book that gives us a great hope. So today, it's going to be a lot more about hope than about the destruction and judgment. So let's dive in. Who is Micah and what is this book about? So Micah 1.1 tells us this. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and 
Jerusalem. So Micah is from a small town of Morsheth, which is located in the southern state. Right? So if you remember from our previous week, there's the, the Israel has divided into two states, the northern state and the southern state. The northern state is called Israel, the southern state called Judah. And we have spent the past three weeks in the northern state where we just kind of camped out. And several prophets have been talking about the destruction of the northern state or the north and, and that there's a judgment that's coming to their state. Amos and Hosea all have spoken about this destruction, about this judgment. They predicted that Assyria will come and destroy them. Micah comes after them and brings a strong warning to the north again, and, but also tells the southern state to pay attention. So he's telling Judah to t- start to pay attention to this warning, especially Jerusalem. Micah has a strong warning, but it has the most beautiful hope can also be found in this book. This beautifully written book is full of poetry and can be divided into three sections. Each section brings a warning towards a different group of people, but each section ends with hope. The hope of restoration, the hope after the destruction, the hope that God still got them. So let's walk through these three sections. Chapter 1 starts off with with an imagery that, that could remind us or remind the reader of Mount Sinai with fire and smoke. But this time, God is not bringing a covenant to his people, but he is bringing a judgment because they have not been living in in light of the covenant that they established at Mount Sinai. They have rebelled against the holy God. And so similar to Amos, Micah lists towns and cities that are wicked and will be judged by God. Uh, The list starts off with the town of Samaria. Samaria was one of the main towns in the northern state. And and Micah is describing the destruction of the town and how he is broken over it. In verse 8, he says, For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. So this is, this is a similar language, a similar way, the way David mourned when Saul died. Saul was his enemy in many regards, but when he died, when Saul died, David was broken by it. In the same way, Micah is inviting the nation of Judah to mourn the fall of their neighbor. Not to be excited for the judgment of the state they've been in conflict with, but, but to mourn mourn them. Because if Judah doesn't change, if Judah doesn't repent, their faith will be the same. In fact, he says, the enemy will reach to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. And we know that King Hezekiah listens to this warning. We know, we know King Hezekiah listens to this warning and repents and that Judah doesn't get destroyed yet. And we get that from Jeremiah 26, 20, uh, 20, chapter 26, verses 28, 29, alludes to this reality of King Hezekiah repenting. So after talking about Samaria and Jerusalem, Micah turns his attention to several other cities, but he, and he tells them to weep because destruction is, is coming to them. But why? Samaria and Jerusalem serve as representatives for the northern and southern states since they are the capital cities. But what about the other cities? What, what did they do? Well, chapter 2, we get some answers. We get some answers. Micah tells us, uh, us that the leaders have grown wealthy through theft 
and greed. Again, this is not new information for us because what we have learned in Amos and Hosea, right? Uh, we, but we get a better picture of what has, what has been going on. We get a better picture of how the rich take advantage of the poor. So Micah starts off chapter 2 with an old story but a story that reminds him of the injustice in the land. It's a story of King Ahab. In verse, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. So he's alluding, he's alluding here to King Ahab and Jezebel. It's a brutal story where, where they stole a vineyard for themselves. So let me run through this story because it would help us understand the corruption of the leaders. So it's a story of Ahab, but in many ways it's a story that summarizes what's going on in the land during Micah's time. So over a hundred years before Micah, during the time of prophet Elijah, Ahab was the king and Jezebel helped him rule. So, so like basically if Ahab was the head, the Jezebel was the neck, she could churn the head any way she wanted. Ahab had a desire to have a vineyard that was close to his house. And it was a vineyard that, that was owned by a, name, by a man named Naboth. So Ahab approached Naboth and asked him if they could make a deal where Ahab would take Naboth's land and would instead give Naboth a better land. But Naboth declined the offer and said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And that didn't sit well with Ahab. He sulked about it at first, but eventually talked to his wife. His wife Jezebel took charge and wrote a letter in King Ahab's name and sealed it with Ahab's seal. The letter said this, Proclaim a fast and said Naboth at the head of the people and said two worthless men opposing him and let them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And that's exactly what went down. Naboth was falsely accused, dragged out of the city, and stoned to death. Jezebel then told Ahab, go and take the vineyard for yourself, because Naboth is dead. Do you see the wickedness that was going on? The people on top, kings and people who are wealthy, are leaning into their selfishness and their greed. And even though this is a story that happened in the past, Micah is alluding that not much has changed. That the leaders are doing the same thing that King Ahab did in the past. We learn in the book of Amos that not only did they disregard the poor, but they took advantage of the poor in every way possible. They oppressed the poor. And here's why this is such a big deal. Sure, it's clear that King Ahab used very wicked means to get what he wanted. He committed horrible acts of injustice to satisfy his desire and get the gains, right? Micah is saying that the rich still take the land from the lowly. We don't get the details of how, but it must be similar to the way Ahab took the land. The land was a gift from God to his people. And if anyone used extortion or defrauded people of their land, in God's eyes, it was a serious injustice. So it's not just the wickedness of stealing and killing, 
It's also, that, that is very wicked, by the way. I'm not, just, I'm not just moving away from that. That is way bad, right? But it's also, it's also wicked of their, who they're stealing, what they're stealing to themselves. They're taking the only place that these people can call home, the place God gave these people to belong. They're taking that to themselves because of their selfishness and greed. And Leviticus in Numbers says this, the land, in Leviticus, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in Numbers 36, 7 says, the inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another, for every one of the people of Israel shall hold unto the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. So the land that God gave his people was to be kept for their families, and by the time we get to Micah, the kings and the wealthy have rigged the system to buy land or steal the land and oppress the poor. And Amos, again, from the previous weeks, talked about this in his book, how the rich took advantage of the poor to the point that the poor had to sell themselves into slavery. They couldn't even afford sandals. They didn't have much hope to even get out of it because the justice system was also rigged where they, the rich could pay off the judge. So God, through Micah, is telling the wealthy rulers all over the land, judgment is coming. But it wasn't just the leaders in power who were wicked, uh, but it extended to the prophets as well. In chapter 3, verse 5, we read, uh, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who put nothing in their mouth. So what he's saying is that even the prophets who should be speaking the truth of God are bought. They preach for hire. They say, that they say what the rich people in the congregation want to hear so that they can get to live comfortable and prestigious lives. And Micah uses poetry here to say that in the same way these leaders are taking the land from the rightful owners so God will take away from them. This is Micah's way of saying judgment is coming. Their corruption is not fooling anyone. Their sinful, selfish ways have caught up to them. God is going to judge according to their sin. Now, in Micah 6 through 7, he extends this warning not just over the cities and the leaders, but over all the people. In Micah 6, 8, he's describing what is, what is expected of those who live in the covenant of God as people of God, right? In chapter 6, verse 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And this is a similar verse to what we talked about again in the book of Amos, to do justice and to love kindness or mercy. And I want to revisit this topic for a minute so that we can understand the accusation from Micah on the people. And remember, this is on all the people, not just the leaders and the cities. The accusation is that they don't do justice out of a heart of grace and compassion. In the Bible, justice can refer to retributive justice. If I do some crime, like if I steal something, then I have to pay for that crime, right? Um, 
And that's one way of looking at justice. But most of the time, the Bible refers to justice as restorative justice. Because God transformed my heart. God showed me mercy and compassion while I was weak and broken. God sought me and helped me. I will seek those who are weak and help them. That's most of the time what the scripture refers to when it talks about justice. So, so justice in this case is an action and mercy and compassion is the motivation for that action. Like, you don't just show the justice because you have to. No, you show justice because God showed you mercy and grace. In other words, if we live under the mercy of God, we show that kind of mercy to others. God treated us with the, with the generosity of his love, and we ought to treat others with the same kind of generosity. For us, because God has saved us and transformed our hearts, we are to look at others and love others. This is what Jesus means when he's talking about love your neighbor as yourself. God gave us mercy and grace. He gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life of selflessness. So it's a a way of living that looks more outward than inward. And the people during the time of Micah didn't live this way. They didn't live this way. People were thinking mainly about themselves and how to enlarge their pockets. They're, They're not living a life of mercy And they're not letting that mercy move towards seeing those who are oppressed. So in the midst of sins of the nations, in the midst of sins of the leaders, in the midst of sins of the people, in the midst of this dark judgment that is coming. And Micah brilliantly shows us hope in the midst of this darkness. But before we talk about this hope, let's talk about us. Let's talk about us. Are we that different from the Israelites? Or are we any different than the Israelites? It's easy for us to listen to their selfishness and shake our heads in disbelief and how they're taking advantage of the poor. It's easy for us to look at the injustices out there and forget to look at our own hearts. In other words, we can make a mistake in judging the nations and the leaders and forget to look within to see the sinfulness that's taken root inside of my own heart. And that we often live to satisfy our own kingdom and our own desires. And God says, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Does that describe us? Does that describe us? What is happening in our thought life during the week? What is happening when no one is watching? Did did your heart lean into selfishness and selfish desire again and again? Or did you walk humbly with God? Sure, maybe none of us in here can say, yeah, I'm exploiting the poor here in Greeley. But do do we care about the poor? Do we care about the poor, period? Does the mercy and grace that was shown to us affect the way we show grace and mercy to the person who might be struggling? Maybe we think we're better off than the people during Micah's era. Maybe we think that they were wicked. But this is the reality. We're not better off. 
We are selfish and self-centered. We lean into sin to satisfy our own heart desires. And if God doesn't intervene, then there'll be judgment for us. In other words, what is the hope for all of us in here if all of us in here are wicked sinners? Micah starts talking about this hope in chapter 2. This hope, the hope is this, that you will hear a voice of your shepherd who's gathering his sheep back to himself. Micah says in chapter 2, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I'll set them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through the pass and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. So the nations are wicked, the leaders are wicked, the people are wicked, judgment is coming. In the midst of all of this, there's a still, small voice, the voice of a shepherd gathering his sheep. And Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what is the shepherd's voice saying? Uh, It's the voice that says, repent, turn around, and follow me. Repent means to realize that, that we are wicked. It's, it means to realize that like, I am broken. I can't do it on my own. It means that we realize that we have been living a life in self-driven kingdom. And we need a new kind of king to come and change that. We need the Messiah to come and rescue us from our self-driven kingdom. And when, when, when Messiah breaks in, then you are no longer living for yourself, but you turn around and start walking with God the opposite of where you were going. That's what repentance means. You hear his voice and you follow his voice. The shepherd will gather his sheep. But Micah doesn't stop there. He continues talking about this hope in chapter 4. In chapter 4, the temple is ruined. The temple is a place where God, God lived with them. But it's a picture of total despair because God's presence hasn't, has been removed. And, and the hope that Micah is talking about is the hope that there will be one day that the people will be allowed to return home from exile. They'll be allowed to rebuild what was broken there will be a new Jerusalem, and in Bethlehem, a Messianic king will be born. The Messianic king is the shepherd whose voice we are to hear. The shepherd will be born in Bethlehem, and this Messiah will come and save his people. And he will live with his people forever, and his presence will never be taken away from them. Right? This, this is the prophecy that when, when they came and said, hey, is, is, Jesus, where, is Jesus the king? Is he going to be born? Where is he going to be born? They looked at this passage and said, Messiah is coming out of Bethlehem. Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, but God, but God is calling you to himself. But God is calling you to himself. God is saying Jesus is the answer. The gift of the cross is the hope that delivers, delivers us out of the ruins that we all have created for ourselves. The way we are saved from our own kingdom and into the kingdom of God is by Jesus dying on our behalf. It is by him showing us mercy and kindness and grace while we were still sinners. While we're still children of wrath, but God, but God offered his grace as a gift for our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved not because we have done anything, but because Jesus did everything. Now listen, listen how Micah ends this book. Like listen, listen to the hope that's been wired throughout the book, but listen how he ends. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in the steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will thread our iniquity underfoot you will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. So where did God cast our sin, our wickedness? He cast them on to his son, Jesus. They're removed from us farther than if he had thrown them into the depth of the sea. God acts justly. He sends his son to take the judgment for our sin upon himself. God shows mercy and compassion. He pardons our iniquity and adopts us into his family. God alone can, can forgive. God alone can make us righteous. God alone can restore us, not because of anything we did, but because God did everything for us through his son. You see, Micah is speaking to the people who are in sin and their wickedness, and he speaks that God will provide a way out. And today we can look back. We can look back and see that he did provide a way out. Uh, because God's character is trustworthy. Everything that Micah talked about happened. Jesus came, right? He, he predicted it. I was thinking about this week, the fact that uh, he said, hey, out of Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph were not anywhere near Bethlehem when, when she was due. Like, but God's character is trustworthy and they end up being in Bethlehem, not because they were like, hey, let me twist this passage to make me go to Bethlehem. No, Caesar told them to go, right? Like God is in charge and God is trustworthy and his word is trustworthy and his covenant is trustworthy. So listen to this verse, how it ends the book. You, you, verse 20, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. And you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old, so God doesn't forget his covenant that he established with Abraham and Jacob and others. He's trustworthy and he's faithful. So I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't. 
I don't know, uh, every one of us in here dealing with something in different ways. I don't know if you're living in darkness. I, I don't know if you have tasted this hope that we've just been talking about, but still find yourself returning to the darkness. Wherever you are, Micah is calling us to remember a God who does not forget his steadfast love. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the shepherd who says to all of us, repent and follow me. Turn and I will heal you. So may we hear our shepherd's voice and may we turn. Let me pray for us.